please turn to page 1194 in the Church Bible or to Hebrews 13 in your Bible. The book of Hebrews comes to a rather abrupt ending and after some extended teaching about Jesus the author refers briefly to a number of seemingly unrelated matters. It's practical guidance that follows the serious teaching. Now last month on Mother's Day Lorraine received an interesting card. The front of the card said, Good mums, let you lick the beaters. But when you opened the card, inside it said, Great mums, turn them off first. (laughs) You see, for this family member, there were many good mums, but there was one who was great. Now the writer of Hebrews knew that there were those in the Old Testament who were good people. But when Jesus came, he was great. We've seen that he was superior to angels. He was superior to Moses. He was superior to the Old Testament priests then several chapters showed he was not like those Old Testament priests who entered the tabernacle with the blood of a sacrificed animal. Jesus was an eternal great high priest who entered heaven itself with his own blood shed on the cross. So the writer says to his readers, Since you have a great high priest like that, then hold firmly to your faith. Chapter 4, verse 14. Now remember he was writing to Jewish folk who had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but because of opposition they were in danger of giving up their faith. In the teaching chapters the author contrasted the life of God's people living in the harsh wilderness under the old covenant on their way to the promised land with the life of Christian believers living in a hostile world under the new covenant on their way to the heavenly city. Now in chapter 13 he turns to practical advice that remains important for us today. So what does the chapter look like? We can identify three parts. Look at your Bible now. Verses 1 to 16 deals with the kind of people that they should be. Then verses 17 to 21, how they should relate to their church leaders. And then finally, the last few verses, some closing comments. We'll take them one by one. (coughs) Firstly, the kind of people they should be. It is true that in the Christian life, what we are counts more than what we do. So, 
what kind of people should these ones have been? Firstly, they were to be loving people. See how the chapter begins, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Love must be genuine, it must be ongoing and it must extend to others. Now in addition to love for members of the congregation, he mentions three other groups of people. Look at verses 2 and 3. There were strangers, that is, those not in their church group, but for whom they were concerned. Then secondly, there were those in prison, people who had been detained for their faith. But it may also include folk confined for other reasons, perhaps those who were ill or who were disabled in some way. Thirdly, there were those who were ill-treated, believers persecuted for following Jesus, as well as victims of other kinds of violence or abuse. They were to be loving people. Now second, they were to be pure people. Look at verse 4. Marriage was to be respected and upheld. All forms of sexual sin, both within and outside marriage, came under God's judgement. In our day, this takes in issues of homosexuality, gender change, human trafficking. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 5 of that book, Of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And the author of Hebrews says here, God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. We must take careful note of this. They were to be loving. They were to be pure. Third, they were to be content, verses 5 and 6. They were to keep their lives free from the love of money and be content with what they had. Now what a challenge for us in our highly materialistic society. God's promise never to leave or forsake is given in this context. There are legitimate material needs, but we are to put God first. We need never be afraid of shaky stock markets or burdensome loans if we follow God's ways. For he is our helper, he is always with us, he will never let us down. Now number four, they were to be loyal people, verses 7 through 12. Now this congregation had a great heritage. They had leaders who taught them the word of God and then lived it out effectively as good examples of its truth. Remember them, our author says, and follow their teaching and example. Now are we praying for leaders like that? 
Do we imitate their faith when we have them? But those leaders passed on. They died. Maybe some were martyred. Now it had been great to have such leaders but the author goes on to tell us of something even greater. Those worthy leaders of that early time pointed their people to Jesus. He would never leave them and what's more in verse 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is the same today as he was when the letter was written. But the author's plea is this, be loyal to Jesus. So the word was, don't slacken your grip, don't slip back, don't be led astray by false teaching. There were some trying to impose upon these Jewish folk the laws and practices of their former Jewish ways while they waited for the Messiah to come. But you see, the truth was Jesus had come and he instituted the new covenant. There was no need now for a tabernacle, for its altar and all of those offerings or for a high priest chosen from among them. The Messiah had come. Their leaders had taught them well set them a good example. But now they must go on and be loyal to Jesus Christ. He would never leave them and he would always be the same. It's a message for us also. Loving, pure, content, loyal and now persevering people. Verses 13 and 14. Now these two verses along with the previous two refer to important Jewish practices. Now with several of the Jewish offerings the blood of a sacrificed animal played an important role but the body of that sacrificed animal was available for the priests to eat at a later stage. But when we come to the sin offering for a priest and for the offerings made on the Day of Atonement, the bodies of those sacrificed animals were not available for use by the priests. They were to be taken outside the city, outside the encampment and burned. Now outside the city was where the outcasts such as lepers were to be found and where the city garbage was disposed of. Not a pleasant place. Verses 11 and 12 tell us about these practices and that Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was crucified outside the city walls. Those who grasped who Jesus really was and understood the significance of his death for them 
would share his disgrace of being in that unsavoury place of outcasts. They had been outcasts. They understood that the death of Jesus had secured for them not some temporary place of comfort inside Jerusalem, soon to be destroyed by Rome. No, he had secured for them an eternal home in the new Jerusalem, secure for all eternity in heaven. So the author urges his readers to be steadfast, resolute, to persevere in their faith. They would face and endure hard times, but they must keep the heavenly goal in mind and keep pressing on. It's a challenging call for us today. Now finally, what sort of people should they be? Verses 15 and 16, they should be worshipful people. In these verses the readers were to express thanks to God for all he had done for them through the Lord Jesus, their Saviour, their Lord, their great high priest. And he mentions four things. Firstly, give God thankful praise. Secondly, give a clear witness. Confess his name. Thirdly, do good. And as James would remind us, don't merely listen to the word, do it. And then fourthly, they were to share what they had with others. They were to be generous givers. So the writer encourages the congregation to show the reality of their faith by expressing these six personal characteristics in their lives. They were to be loving, pure, content, loyal, persevering in their faith and worshipful. Now the second main point in this 13th chapter. How should they relate to their church leaders? Now we must note that leadership is part of God's plan for his people. But we might ask what kind of leadership? And our author goes on to explain a little. Firstly, it was to be pastoral leadership, caring Leadership. Verse 17. The Bible affirms the concept of good leadership. Leaders are those who act like shepherds, guiding and caring for their sheep. Or like watchmen who protect and safeguard the welfare of those over whom they watch. Now we'd have to go to other parts of Scripture to see the qualifications for leaders but the intention is that people follow their leaders 
as a model for following their Saviour. Paul sets a fine example. He says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1 these very important words. Follow my example as I follow Christ. There is the pattern for leadership. It's an awesome responsibility for church leaders to so live and serve that others gladly follow them. Now secondly, it was to be accountable leadership. You can't just do what you feel like. Leaders are accountable to God for their work. They must give an account. Leadership is part of God's plan but it must never be taken lightly and must always be exercised responsibly. Pastoral leadership, accountable leadership. Thirdly, it's dependent leadership. Verses 18 to 21. God provided them with leaders and the people were to respond positively. Spiritual growth depended on such interaction between leaders and followers. See in verse 18, prayer is a vital part. Prayer for members and prayer by the members. And in verse 18 the writer urges his readers, pray for us, meaning pray for us your leaders. Then in verse 20, he actually prays for them. And it was the prayer we prayed at the beginning of this series. We read it a little earlier. We learn from this that leaders and congregation are dependent on each other. But then both groups are dependent on God. True leaders serve God by leading his people, by teaching them and being examples to them in a society where believers were criticised and misunderstood. How should they relate to their leaders? Those are the guidelines. Now the closing comments in the remaining few verses. Verse 22, he has given instruction to be followed. He says, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation because I've just written you a short letter. Now we probably don't think it's very short. But exhortation is intended to bring encouragement and strength. So we may not think it's a very short letter but we can agree that the author does encourage his readers by explaining that Jesus has fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies and patterns and now he is their high priest in heaven. Jesus is there talking to God about them and their difficulties and their trials. 
He is in heaven as their great high priest. They were not left alone in the unfriendly world of their day. And so he gives them this instruction to exhort them, encourage and strengthen them to persevere in their faith. Now there was fellowship to be appreciated. We mentioned that in the congregation, in, in the church rather, there were leaders and there were congregation members. Now note the use of the word all in verse 24. When they met together, they were to greet all their leaders and they were to greet all the believers and not only selected ones who happened to be in their little group. Sixteen times throughout the letter, the author has used the little phrase, let us. Let us hold on. Let us draw near. Let us encourage one another. It was a repeated call to work together. They needed to appreciate the fellowship but they also needed to add to that fellowship, fellowship of the entire congregation, fellowship to be appreciated. And then finally there's grace to be accepted. Verse 25. The author refers to God's grace many times throughout the book. By God's grace Jesus died for us. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus is there in heaven representing us. There is grace to help us. We must not insult the spirit of grace. We must watch that we do not miss God's grace. Our hearts can be strengthened by grace and finally He says God's grace can be with us all. No exclusions, no omissions. God's grace can be with us all. Well now when we started we set three aims for this series in the book of Hebrews. Firstly we said we wanted to learn more of what God has said through Jesus have we learned what strengthens and encourages us second we wanted to take note of the five warnings that are given in the book and you'll notice the little paragraph headings warning about this that Firstly, pay attention to what's been written. Don't harden your hearts. Thirdly, go on to maturity in your faith. Persevere so that we do receive what God has promised and don't refuse God and disobey him. Take note of the five warnings that are given. And thirdly, to be encouraged to persevere in our Christian faith. Have we made up our minds to press on, to persevere, to be steadfast, despite trials, disappointments, 
and difficulties. There's a message for us here as individuals. The kind of people we should be and the interactions we should have with each other, with those who are our leaders and with others in the wider circle of our society. There's a message here for us as families. Families have leaders. It's in the family where we learn lessons about leadership, obedience, functioning together. There's a picture of the Trinity, children, parents, God. There's a message for us as a church family, the kind of people we should be and working together that God's purposes in us might be fulfilled. And there's a troubled, violent, restless world that desperately needs to see the gospel expressed in transformed lives. But there is another way to live, both for this life and for the life to come. So as we conclude this series, may God enable us by his grace to persevere in our faith and to do his will for us as individuals, as families, as a church family and as his people in a broken world. And may we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we await his glorious return. Stuart has printed copies of this message as you leave this morning, but now let's close in prayer. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves, who provides, who gives, who enters into a transforming relationship with us, who has given us a Saviour, one who is worthy of being our Lord and one who pleads our cause in the very courts of heaven as our High Priest. We are blessed people and this morning we have worshipped you we have sung praise to you. We have prayed to you. We have shared what is happening in a world around us through ones who go to share faith and live out their faith beyond the walls of the church. We pray that you will bless our families, that they will be training grounds preparation times for service in your family as members of your family and we pray that the little ones will see modelled in their homes the characteristics that mark us out as the people who belong to you and that when the time comes 
they will learn to follow you as they have followed parents. And Father, we pray that you will bless those in whom we have, for whom we have a concern who are not yet members of your family. We pray for those not able to be with us or amongst your people because they're confined in various ways. We believe you can be equally with them in every way as you are with us. Bless those ones today, we pray. And Lord, we would ask that as we come to a new week, we don't know what will happen, but help us to be faithful. Help us to be the kind of people you want us to be. Help us to be willing to confess your name. And to you we give praise, honour, adoration and worship for you are our God. All praise, honour be unto you now and forever. Amen.